Very good. We are going through the Bible on Sunday night. We started in Genesis about 10 years ago, and now we are in Jeremiah. Chapter 33, if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We are in Jeremiah. Chapter 33. Jeremiah chapter 33. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, for your word and for this wonderful book, the book of Jeremiah, where we have been discovering your heart, Lord, your heart for us, your heart for your people. And Lord, we've just been getting so great instruction on living and how to minister. And Lord, just warnings to our heart, which we need those too. And I just pray this evening, Lord, believing as a a group here, as a family, a church family, that you'll be speaking to us yet again. Lord, we thank you that we can just close the day in the word of God. We can open it and close it. And Lord, just be like sponges all day, just absorbing your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 of chapter 33 says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the prison. So, just briefly, what is going on here in the history of Israel, we're at the very end of the, that portion of the history of Israel where there was a king reigning in Jerusalem, starting with King Saul about 400 years earlier. This is the, the very last king, uh, at least, that reigned during this segment of history. King Zedekiah is on the throne. Prophets had come into Jerusalem, into Israel, for generations, warning them that if they didn't turn back to the Lord that the, the, the nation would be wiped out. Actually, there had been a civil war about 150, 200 years earlier, and the uh, northern kingdom and the southern kingdom separated. And by this time, J- Jeremiah 33 here is about 600 B.C. The northern kingdom, the northern ten tribes of, uh, of Israel had already been wiped out by the Assyrians. Elijah warned them, Elisha warned them, a number of other prophets warning them repeatedly for generations. And they had been wiped out. The uh, southern kingdom uh, was uh, 
a kingdom for about 150 years after that. Uh, they too, uh, during that 150 years, there were good kings, there were bad kings, but there was one particular bad, is, bad king. His name was Manasseh, and the, and the Bible says that he spilled the blood of so many innocent people. Jerusalem was covered with blood from one end to the other. And so uh, even though a good king came after him, King Josiah, uh, the, the amount of judgment and wrath that had been stored up in that time period, the Bible says, was so much that the prophets warned uh, that there would be a coming judgment, but the Lord is warning them to the very, very, very end, and at this point, they don't like what Jeremiah has to say, and what basically what Jeremiah is saying to them is the the city now, Jerusalem, is surrounded by the enemy, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. Just give up and give yourself over to this king Submit to him for 70 years, and then at the end of 70 years, you will have to get Jerusalem back, and you'll be able to um, have a temple again and worship here again. But y- y- your behavior, your rebellion against the Lord has been so bad for so long, and we've you know, talked about it. They went down into the Valley of Gehenna and sacrifice their children here. That's in um, reference to that in uh, chapter 32, verse 35. And, and uh, it had just gone on for so long. And so they shut up Jeremiah in prison. They called him a traitor. What do you mean we're supposed to submit to this foreign king? And, and, and they basically said, you're a traitor. And they threw him in prison. And so here we begin... Uh, it says in, in verse 1, the second time that the Lord spoke to him while he was in prison. Verse 2, thus says the Lord who made it, made what? The earth and all that is in it. Thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who est- formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name, Jehovah. The Lord is his name. Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And, you know, sometimes when we're in a prison, it may not be a physical prison, but in a, it, it, so the prison it, trials and, and, and afflictions sometimes can be a prison. We'll, we'll hear from the Lord so much more clearly than any other time. And here you get a, just a wonderful, uh, Jeremiah receives a wonderful word from the Lord, and he's in prison. And so many times that, that, that is where we hear the Lord so clearly. And, he, and, and the Lord says to him, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Now there's an important instruction here on how we are supposed to conduct ourselves in the secret place. Now this morning... Uh, we spent some time, and we put up on the screen Psalm 91. 
We talked about the secret place. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty and and the secret place. It it is a reference to our devotion time, our time with God, the time that 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 it's just us and it's just us and the Lord, or me and the Lord, you and the Lord. And it doesn't even matter if if there are thousands, millions of people around you in a city or whatever. It's your secret place. And one of the things that's so important about this secret place, and we've talked here in church about how to have a devotion time. I I had a whole message on that on a Sunday morning about four or five months ago. You may want to get that CD. It's so important that we dedicated a whole message. Stephanie, on Tuesday nights at Women's Study, six weeks, how to have a devotion time. In September, she's going to begin the same, uh, a similar kind of series for, for six weeks. But one of the things that's so important in your devotion time, your time with the, with the Lord, it, it, when you open up the Word of God, it's not to learn something new from the Word of God. <laughs> and so many people have this misconception of, uh, of, a, of, of, of your devotion time, that it's like a Bible study where you're supposed to be learning something new. No, you know, after you're in the Lord for three, four, five years, you're not learning something new every single time you open the Bible. What's, what you want is to hear from the Lord, to hear from his word, to hear from the Holy Spirit. And, and the thing that I tell people all the time is throughout your devotion time, you should be what? Calling to the Lord. Verse 3, call to me and I will answer you. So, uh, and so throughout your time reading the Bible, Lord, please talk to me. What does this mean? What are you trying to tell me through this word this morning in the secret place. And it says, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So listen, there's some things we get through the word of God. There's other things we get, which is the Bible. There's other things we get by listening to the still small voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. And, and that's what the reference is to here in verse 3. There are great and mighty things which you do not know. There are things, listen, there are things that, or the knowledge of things, things about life, things about what God is doing in the world, even what God is doing in the future, that the Bible says is inaccessible to the natural man and can only be accessed through prayer. That's why he says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Now he's going to be speaking here of the millennial reign and what's going to happen um, during the return of Christ. This terrible time, he's in prison, the, the uh, city is surrounded by an incredibly barbarous, is that a word, barbarous? Barbaric, barbaric barbaric enemy and and the fear is just dominating the uh, land and uh, the Lord gives him this wonderful vision which he says unless you call to me you're not going to know it and one of the wonderful things about the Bible is uh, about the about the Lord actually and about becoming born again and receiving the Holy Spirit, which is a which the Holy Spirit is promised and given to every single believer in Christ, 
The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, famous verse, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. God will reveal things to us, things that apart from his spirit, apart from a prayer life, we cannot know. We do not know. For, verse 4, For thus says the Lord God, the house of Israel, the God of Israel, rather, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah, which have been pulled down to fortify against the siege mounds and the sword. So they had pulled down their houses and taken the bricks, dismantled their houses, and built up uh, walls, and siege mounds, it's what it's called, it's, uh, defenses. You've seen uh, these pictures of, of, of uh, you know, in World War I and stuff with these, you know, sand, bags of sand going up. And that's, they had taken their own houses and pulled them do, uh, d- down to fortify the city. And, and, and Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord, verse 5, when they come to fight with the Chaldeans but, Chaldeans, but only to fill their places with dead bodies of men whom I will slay in my anger and my fury. In other words, it's all for naught. You guys are, are, are still, your backs are turned towards God and you're in rebellion and everything you're doing, you're doing in vain. You should be just giving up, submitting to the king of Babylon and, and you're refusing to do so. Uh, so, and then at the end of verse five, all for whose wickedness I have hidden my face from this city. Behold, verse six, I will bring it health and healing. So, all of a sudden, in the midst of this word of judgment, he has a vision of the future. And he says, I will bring it health and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of of peace and truth. Interesting here that sin and disobedience and rebellion against God is likened to sickness. It says, verse 6, Behold, I will bring it health and healing. Sin is progressive. I mean, it just builds on each other. We, sh- we can never think that we can, should never think that we can compartmentalize sin or put it in one area of our life. No, it's going to just become progressive, just like illness, uh, disease. It becomes progr- it, it, it's progressive. It grows. It, it, it expands. Uh, sin is also contagious. And the Bible says a little leaven goes through the whole dough. A little, if, if there's sin in, in someone, even a single person in a church body, one of the reasons we have to deal with sin and confront ch- sin in the church is because the Bible says if we don't, it will spread throughout. The, the church body, but it's also, it's fatal. And, and, and so it's likened to a sickness. And, but he says, behold, I will bring it health and healing. So in the midst of all this rebellion, he's looking to a time in the future where God will bring healing to Israel. Verse 7, and I will cause the captives of Judah and the captives of Israel to return. Return from where? To Babylon, which is 900 miles away. There's already been two times Nebuchadnezzar has come in and hauled away people to, uh, to, uh, 
to Babylon, and I believe there will, and there will be some in, the, the, in this third and last time who uh, will be taken back. But it says, I, I will cause the captives to return and rebuild, rebuild those places at the first. And I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed against me. Now he's looking now. Now what you will see is a description of the millennial reign of Christ. When Jesus returns, the Bible says that Jesus will return. Jesus himself repeatedly said I, he will return another time to establish righteousness, established uh, he, uh, where he will reign as king. It says, verse, not, and this is a description of, of that time. It says, then it shall be to me a name of joy. What shall be to me a name of joy? Israel will. A praise and honor before all nations of the earth who shall hear all the good that I do to them. They shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and all the prosperity that I provide for it. You know, human, uh, the human race has a sickness and the sickness is ungratefulness. And sometimes, you know, we fall into this. And actually, it's something that we need to fight every single day to not be uh, infected, affected by this, this, the voices of the, uh, uh, of the world where there's just a, a spirit of complaining and grumbling in the world. And here in the middle of verse 9, I love this. It says, I w- there will come a time where they, where they shall hear all the good that I do to them, meaning it will dawn on everyone during this reign of Jesus Christ that God is so good. People have no idea on this planet Earth how good the Lord has been to them. And so this is a description of a time where people will have grateful hearts and they will just worship the Lord. Verse 10, thus says the Lord, again there shall be uh, heard in this place of which you say it is desolate without man and without beast. In other words, at this time, everyone was saying, look, look at the land around us. It's desolate. It's, it's, there's no man out there. It's without even beast. That's how bad the enemy had come through and, and, and destroyed everything. It says... It shall, say it, it shall say of this place, of which you say it is desolate, without man or without beast, in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man and without inhabitant and without beast, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. In other words, the voice of the... The celebrations associated with weddings, they had ceased. You can't have a wedding when your city is surrounded by thousands of barbaric, not barbarous, (laughs) barbaric people. You can't have a wedding during that time, Uh, you know? And and so the, 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 
the voice of the bride and the bridegroom, it had ceased. But, the, but right in the middle of this, this judgment that Jeremiah is proclaiming, he's also giving them a vision of the fruit future where the groom, the voice of the bride, it says the voice of those who will say, praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his mercy endures forever. That, by the way, is, as I understand it, a still to this day, a benediction at um, Orthodox Jewish weddings. Praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. That's the benediction, meaning the last words that are uttered at a Jewish wedding. It's right there out of Jeremiah 33. It says, and those who will bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. So there was no sacrifice of praise in the house of the Lord. One of the reasons was because they weren't even worshiping the Lord by then, by this time. But there was nothing, you know, they, they were so filled with fear, there was nothing to, uh, in their own minds, there was nothing to praise the Lord about. And, but he's saying, no, the time will come again when those will come with a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. And, and, and you know, it's, it's so important our worship service. You know, we, we spend a lot of work. We do a lot of work and pay a lot of attention and, and really focus on making sure that our worship services here are in right order so that people can come in and, and worship here and hear the word of God. And, and, and you know, so there's a reference here to the sacrifice of praise. This is, this is referring to the music. Actually, the last song that, or maybe it was a song before that, referred to the temple of praise that David established. Now, David didn't build the temple, but he did establish the, his son Solomon did, but he established the temple of praise, Levites praising the Lord 24 hours a day. And you know, it is a sacrifice of praise when we, when we worship the Lord. And, and I think it's important that we're, we're careful to understand that it, one of the things I did as I, I, as I prepared for uh, this message was, well, what does this mean, a sacrifice of praise? The Bible says, present your body as a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1, holy and pleasing to him. What's a sacrifice of praise? What is it? Well, you know, it's when, when I come into to church in the morning, I, some of the craziest things or spiritual warfare or whatever, or it could be whatever, are just stirring up in my mind. And I need to put aside self, put aside Steve, and just worship the Lord. A sacrifice of praise. You know, sometimes it, 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 it takes an act, a deliberate act of the will to set aside just all the anxiety in our mind, the worry, the fear, the anger we may have for someone or something or frustration and just worship the Lord. It's a sacrifice of praise that is a sweet aroma to the Lord. It's not okay when we're singing in a worship service and we're thinking about that pizza at 
Cecilia's on Commonwealth Avenue, you know, after on Sunday night. It's not okay. Think about that after, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the worship, you know, after the announcements too and after my message, but, but you know, after the whole service, but, but uh, a sacrifice of praise. And then it goes on, for I will cause the captives of the land to return as at the first, says the Lord. And of course, we know in Ezra and Nehemiah, that's exactly what happened. Verse 12, thus says the Lord of hosts, in this place, which is desolate, without man and without beasts, and in all its cities, there shall again be a dwelling place of shepherds causing their flocks to lie down. It's just like this serene pastoral setting, just lambs sitting down on a pasture. And they're, rather, they're lying down but at this time, the, again, the, the city is surrounded by uh, the enemy, and such a scene was just unthinkable at the time. Verse 13, in the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowlands, in the cities of the south, in the land of Benjamin. Jeremiah was from the tribe of who? Come on, you could have gone to chapter 1 by now. Benjamin. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. So he's, he's getting this vision of the future when in the land of his own home, in the places around Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah, for the flock shall again pass under the hands of him who counts them, says the Lord. Now, I, I think you have that word, that word him there, H-I-M. You probably have a small H, but some people think that's a capital H, and it's speaking of the Messiah, of him who counts the Lord, who counts the flocks, and who counts, who, who has every, uh, every hair in our head counted. Verse 14, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. And here he he has this vision of the Messiah here in verse 15. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Now turn back to uh, Jeremiah 23 really quick. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. So Jeremiah is repeating a prophecy here in chapter 33 that was given in chapter 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. And the word branch in Hebrew is Nazar. That's why Jesus was a Nazarene. He was from Nazareth. I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign in prophet prosper and execute judgment and righteousness. Um, now, it's interesting in verse 6, in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell in safety. Now, this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Sidkenu. 
but in chapter 33, verse 16, has the very similar words. It says, in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely, and this is the name by which she will be called. Who's she? Jerusalem, the Lord our righteousness. So Jerusalem, after Jesus' return, will be called, it will have the name of the same name as the Lord, the Lord our righteousness. And you know that that uh, Pastor Keith, when he was speaking at the men's conference, he you know one of the, one of the things that he suggested when you have your time in the secret place, your devotion time, is just man, just meditate on a half of a verse. And this is a good half of a verse to meditate on. Actually, this is a fourth of a verse. The Lord our righteousness. Never think that you have a righteousness or a goodness in and of of yourself. Because the Bible says you don't. The Bible says there is no one good. Not even one. But it says in... 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that we can be called the righteousness of God, the Lord our righteousness. How can we claim any goodness for ourselves? Because the Lord is our righteousness. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I love sharing from the book of Matthew, the parable of the wedding feast where the king invites everyone to his, um, actually not everyone, but certain invited guests to his uh, son's wedding feast. And his servants go out to invite people to this uh, feast. But one says, no, I'm busy. I have a business. Another one says, I have a farm. And uh, some of the people laughed at him and they didn't accept the invitation. So um, they came back to the king. They said no, they didn't accept the invitation. And the Lord says, now go out and just invite everyone, everyone, good or bad. And that's such an important part of that parable. Is that Matthew 20? Matthew 22? One of them, I think. But uh, he says, invite everyone, good or bad. And then the wedding banquet hall is filled up with people and... Everyone except one person has one thing in common. That's what? They're wearing what? The banquet clothes. The garments, the wedding garments. There's one guy who tried to get in without his wedding garments. He tried to get in uh, without the garments that had been handed him. And, and, and they walk, the king walked up to him. How did you get in here? He says, what are you talking about? So you don't have your wedding garments. And he was actually told and, and, and cast out to where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth, a reference to hell. The one thing that everyone had in common was they had the garments, the clothes of Jesus Christ. They were cloaked in it. So I love this. The Jehovah... How do you pronounce it again? Sidkeno, <laughs> thank you. The Lord, our righteousness. We have no righteousness of our own, but the Lord is our righteousness. 
Verse 17, for thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. Quite a thing to say when the city is surrounded by the enemy and you're telling everybody, Jeremiah is telling everyone just to give up and submit to this other king. What he's referring to here is none other than Jesus Christ. David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel, meaning that Jesus, what did Jesus tell Pilate? My kingdom is not of this world. Mary was told when she was visited by the angel, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, a throne that would never end. Verse 18, nor shall the priests, the Levites, lack a man to offer burnt offerings before me. Again, the temple was going to be wiped out completely. In fact, today there is no temple. There's no one. Uh, they'd like to have a temple there. There's a bunch of people planning to build a temple in Jerusalem, but there is no temple there. So how can it be that there would ever there would never lack a man to offer burnt offerings before him. Well, that too is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In the book of Hebrews, and I think, is it Romans as well? It says that Jesus is ever interceding before the throne. He is our high priest. About half the book of Hebrews just hammers home that point. He is our high priest to kindle grain and grain offerings and to sacrifice continually. So Jesus is always pointing to his sacrifice. Blood of the Lamb, verse 19, and the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that there will not be day and night in their season, then my covenant may also be broken with David my servant so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne and with the Levites and the priests, my ministers, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered nor the sand of the sea measured, so will I multiply the descendants of David, my servant and the Levites who minister to me. So he says, as surely as, surely as the sun rises... And, and, and if, the, if the sun ceases to rise, then you will not see someone sitting on the throne. In other words, this is a covenant with Israel that the, Jeremiah says it's, it's sealed. It's as good as done. And again, you talk about a, a prophecy that he's giving here by faith. The city's about to be wiped out, and Jeremiah knows it, and he knows the king is about to, is about to be taken prisoner as well. We read that in the next chapter. Verse 23, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Have you not considered what these people have spoken, saying the two families which the Lord has chosen? He has also cast them off. Thus they have despised my people, as if they should, bring, uh, should no more be a nation before them. 
Thus says the Lord, if my covenant is not with a day and night, and if I have not appointed the ordinance of heaven and earth, then I will cast away the descendants of Jacob and David, my servant, so that I will not take any of the descendants to be rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for I will cause their captives to return and will have mercy on them. And so this covenant that the Lord has with Israel. Verse chapter 34, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army, all the kingdoms of the earth under his dominion, and all the people fought against Jerusalem and all its cities, saying. So surrounding Jerusalem is not only Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar basically had conquered many kingdoms, and he's bringing in all those kingdoms as well. So there's many nations uh, surrounding Jerusalem at this, and they're, they're just holed up in Jerusalem in their rebellion. And, and, and so an, another word comes to Jeremiah here, verse 2, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Jerusalem, and tell him. So Zedekiah, again, the last king that reigned physically in Israel. Go and speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. And indeed, Nebuchadnezzar did. Now, excavators have done a lot of digging, an incredible amount of digging. And they actually, you know, digging down, there, there is sort of a layer of ash, a thin layer of ash. They think that's from Titus, who, the Roman general who uh, destroyed and burned Jerusalem in, in 70 AD. But if you go down se- uh, several more yards, I think, you actually get to a a thicker layer of ash, and they actually believe it dates from the time that it, Nebuchadnezzar uh, burned Jerusalem, just as this prophecy says here in verse 2. In around, was it 605 B.C., in around that time. Verse 3, and you shall not escape, he's speaking to the king, from his hand, but shall surely be taken and delivered into his hand. Your eyes shall see the eyes of the king of Babylon. He shall speak with you face to face, and you shall go to Babylon. So we'll see later on in Jeremiah, Zedekiah escapes from Jerusalem, but in the valley of Jericho, he's caught, and he's brought before Nebuchadnezzar. And actually, he's blinded by him after seeing him. But verse 4 says, You hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, You shall not die by the sword, you shall die in peace. Indeed, that was so. He did die a natural death, but he was blinded. As in the ceremonies of your fathers, the former kings who were before you, so they shall burn incense for you and lament for you, saying, Alas, Lord, for I have pronounced the the word, says the Lord. So people will find out about his fate. He's going to die a natural death, but he's going to be in a prison in Babylon. Verse 6, Then Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these words to Zedekiah, king of Judah and Jerusalem. When the king of Babylon's army fought against Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah were left against Lachish and Azekah, for only these fortified cities remained of the cities of Judah. So there was just two cities left other than Jerusalem, Lachish and Azekah. The Babylonians had uh, 
taken, uh, taken out every other city. Verse 8, thus, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people who were at Jerusalem to proclaim liberty to them that every man should set free his male and female slave, a Hebrew man or woman, that no one should keep a Jewish brother in bondage. Now when all the princes and all the people who had entered into the covenant heard that everyone should set free his male and female slaves, that no one should keep them in bondage anymore, they obeyed and let them go. But afterward they changed their minds and made the male and female slaves return whom they had set free and brought them into subjection as male and female slaves." So what in the world is going on here? Well, this is what had happened. They were in the middle of this full-on crisis. The enemy is surrounded in Jerusalem. And what had happened was that the, the king had realized, probably the priests had told him, that the Mosaic law, the law of the Jews, prescribed it in a very specific manner that if a if another Jew basically sold himself to you as a slave or, or, or was enslaved to you, he could serve you for six years, but then you had to let him go at the beginning of the seventh year. And this was um, a law that uh, every seven years you had to let go of your uh, slaves and, and let them go free. Well, they hadn't done that. And when the seventh year came, it was business as usual. And so what they did when their city was surrounded, they, they have this sort of, I don't know what you would call it, um, a sort of kind of, sort of kind of repentance where they, they actually, it says in verse 8, Zedekiah the king made a proclamation of liberty. In verse 9 it says, so every male and female slave is supposed to go free right now. They were not enslaved correctly. They were supposed to be let go long, long time ago. You're supposed to let them go. And in verse 10 it says, when all the princes of the people uh, heard this, they entered into a covenant and they said, okay, yeah, we'll do it. And they let everyone go. But in verse 11, it says, but afterward, they changed their minds. And what probably happened here was these sieges that used to happen in, in cities um, used to go on for years. And before sort of modern warfare, they used to just starve the, the, the city into subjection, and they would wait outside the city sometime for years. And we were in Ireland on a missions trip last uh, summer and e even in the Middle Ages, same thing was going on. And they had these enormous cellars for provision of food and these places where they could get water so they could last really for months and months and months while the enemy was outside the castle. It was a pretty small castle, too. I can't imagine how horrible it would have been, uh, particularly in all that Irish uh, uh, rain that happens over there. But, uh, you know, and, and so. Uh, 
but it was the case here. So apparently what had happened, Nebuchadnezzar got distracted from outside the city. He went off and fought some other battle or part of his army did. And when, when he went off, they said, oh, well, things are looking a little better now. We're going to just do away with his covenant. Sound familiar? People get sick, making all kinds of promises to the Lord. Lord, you know, if you cure me of this, I will go back to church and, you know, I'll be an usher under Jose Feliciano. And I'll learn many things from him. And then as soon as they get better, well, you know, that Jose guy, I'm not sure I want to go and learn from him. Or they get into a financial crisis. Lord, if you get me out of this, I promise, you know, I will go and I'll be a singer on that worship team or I'll tithe or I will uh, do this or that. Well, there he, there get out of the financial crisis and pretty soon, you know, they're not doing what they had told the Lord they would do. And that's called a temporal faith or a temporary faith. And, and, and it ultimately, it's really, it's not, what is pleasing to the Lord. But amazingly so, we'll read in a few verses, the Lord was actually kind of encouraged by it. It's amazing. It's like when you see your kids and they're maybe, may, they may be in a season of, uh, of you know, not rebelling or, or sort of a distance and any single little thing you see in their life, uh, you go, wow, wow, look at what they just did, this little thing. And, 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 and that's what we read. It says... Uh, there in, uh, in verse 15, it says, you recently turned and did what was right in my sight, every man proclaiming liberty to his neighbor, and you made a covenant before me in the house which is called by my name, but then you turned around and profaned my name, and every one of you brought back his male and female slaves whom you had set at liberty at their pleasure and brought them back in a subjection to your male and female slaves." So it's interesting. We get a, just a picture here into a historical event that happened in Jerusalem in the middle of, of a crisis, a national crisis. There was this feigned repentance or this partial repentance that it was not only partial, it was shallow. And, and, and you know, they just went back to uh, what they were doing. Verse 17, therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming liberty, everyone to his brother and everyone to his neighbor. Behold, I will proclaim liberty to you, says the Lord, to the sword, to the pestilence, and to the famine, and I will deliver you to trouble among all the kings of the earth. God hates slavery. First Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says, look, to those of you who are slaves... Um, get your freedom because Christ didn't free you, save you to become a slave. But then he goes on to say, but those of you who are free, you're Christ's slave. <laughs> but but uh, so the Lord is looking at this. He doesn't like what he sees. In verse 18, he says, And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me, when they cut that calf in two and pass between the parts of it. What in the world is that? Anyone know what that's referring to? Speaking of people I'm very proud of, my own son. I'm pointing at you. 
What's it referring to? That's right. Oh, that's my son there. See, my son. Genesis chapter 15. In, 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 a, in a rather strange part of, of Scripture that we don't fully understand, God makes a covenant with Abraham, and he orders and instructs Abraham to cut in two uh, the sacrifices, and then Abraham goes into a deep sleep, and God himself passes right through the middle of this of this uh, of this offering that's been split in two. Well, it, it appears what happened here is the Jews started doing the same thing. Hey, that Genesis 15 thing. Let's let's go do that. That sounds like a good idea. Let's like cut a calf in half and like walk through it and 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 make our promise and our covenant while we're walking through it. They did that, and it looks like the Lord kind of honored it, even though it's not in the Mosaic law. But He says, "You when you did it." You, it says you, when they cut the calf in two and passed between, uh, rather backing up in verse 18, it says they performed the words of the covenant which they made before me when they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts of it. But they just went back on it. It says verse 19, and this just gives you, this is a big deal. Apparently when this happened, this covenant of liberty of the slaves, it says the princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf. So this is a big thing that the, uh, Zedekiah did. He called out everyone. It says everyone, walk through this split and a half calf and make a promise to God while you do so. And they all went back on it. They all broke their oath. It's amazing to me the long-suffering of the Lord, how he would even see this repentance and be at all encouraged by it. But he is. You know, we, were, we went through, and I've, I know I've repeated this many times since we've been in it, I, I'm still amazed when we went through the life of King Ahab. I mean, one incredibly wicked dude. He, he, he basically, to a man, was responsible, he and his wife Jezebel, for bringing the whole nation of Israel, ten tribes to the north, from worship of Jehovah, although it was polluted at the time anyway, but over to Baal's full-on worship of foreign gods. He killed Naboth. He did all these other horrible things, killed all the prophets. And, And at one point, years, I think even decades into his terrible behavior, Elijah rebukes him, and he appears to repent. And, and the Lord goes to Elijah, look at, look at Ahab. I'm so happy. He's going around in sackcloth and ashes. I'm, and I'm thinking, I'm reading that. Lord, what's wrong with you? This is Ahab. Are you out of your mind? But even this little repentance the Lord was encouraged by, but they just went back on it. Verse 21, and I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his princes into the hand of the enemies, into the hands of those who seek their life and into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which have, has gone back from you. Behold, I will command, says the Lord, and cause them to return to the city. They will fight against it and take it and burn it with fire, and I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. Ugh. Praise the Lord for the cross. Praise the Lord for the resurrection and the garments of salvation. Praise the Lord for our, the Lord our righteousness and that we are looking forward to his return. But here we do see a dark chapter of Israel's history, but right in the middle of it, a wonderful prophecy of the return of Christ.
So uh, I'm going to end there. We end our Sunday evening services by getting into little groups of three, four, and five people and praying.